Happy New Year, FC. Welcome to 2021. You made it. You survived 2020. <laughs> Do you feel that way? Do you feel like you survived last year? Just a few of you? Okay. I feel that way for sure. I'm excited for something new, something refreshing, uh, maybe some, some new goals, some new resolutions. Does anybody else do that? Anybody do goals or resolutions for yourself? Okay, three people, great. Okay, either wake up or raise your hand. Um, it, we, we all, regardless of whether or not you just make things up as you go or you're making a plan, we all can relate to, to wanting a fresh start, right? We all want something new. You know, we wanna clean this slate every once in a while, and just start over. And the new year tends to be that time of year for most of us. We, we, we look forward to that moment. And what we're gonna do over the next 12 weeks is as we're thinking about our life, as we're thinking about these goals, resolutions, this fresh start, we're gonna look at a book of wisdom called Ecclesiastes. It's right in between Proverbs and Song of Solomon in your book. You wanna go ahead and turn there. We're gonna be in Ecclesiastes 1 today. And it's right there in the middle of those two books because King Solomon is the one who wrote it. He also wrote Proverbs and Song of Solomon. This is the same Solomon who was one of the sons of the king of David, that guy who killed the giant, was a shepherd, became a king, same guy. And in this book, um, he is writing, honestly, what seems a little bit, at least as I read it, it, it almost feels like really in-depth journal entries slash poetry slash, I don't know, <laughs> just, just very personal very real, very raw. And what's interesting about what he writes here is King Solomon is known as the wisest, wealthiest king that's ever lived according to the Bible. So imagine having all this wisdom, having all of the stuff and all of the things that you could want. This was this guy, he, he's, he's got all of that. And so what he has to say is only emboldened by the fact that this is who he was and the kind of life that he lived. So, this book is not a three-step plan for how to make your year great. Uh, it's not the next leadership development book. It's not um, a self-help book. That's not what this is. It's wisdom. And with wisdom, with the perspective of this book, you're gonna see that, like all wisdom, it, it transcends circumstance and the details of your life. Meaning that, that regardless of your specific story, your personality, your everything, this is going to apply. This will be meaningful to you. And that is the case with all wisdom. The other two things that we're gonna see in this wisdom literature is that it gives us a perspective that is eternal. You're gonna see some phrases that, that are repeated in this book that continue to draw our, our gaze and our, our vision of life up above the clouds into the spiritual realm. And then the second thing is that it gives us a God's eye view. We, we begin to see our life and this world through his eyes rather than the nitty gritty of our day to day and our life and being us centered. And I think that is the case with most wisdom that is spiritual. So you ready to dive in? Let's go to Ecclesiastes 1 starting in verse 1. We're going to take this step by step, okay? Verse 1, the words of the preacher the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now, the first thing we have to ask is, what is vanity? Because when we hear vanity in our modern context and our definition of that word, we, we most often think of that person that's standing in the mirror a lot, right, checking themselves out, 
making sure they look good, you know, they're a vain person. That's not what Solomon has in mind here. He actually has something more deep, more meaningful than that. The, the, the literal translation of this Hebrew word is he, of Hebel is smoke or vapor. And like vapor or smoke, what he's trying to say is that our life is like smoke or vapor. It's, it's, it's very brief. It exists for a brief amount of time. And it's hard to take hold of. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to control. Now, forgive my nerdiness, but when I heard this, or as I was thinking about smoke and meaninglessness of life that Solomon talks about, I thought of uh, this one specific moment, it's like 15 seconds, in the movie uh, Harry Potter, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, huge spoiler alert, so if you haven't seen it yet, where have you been? Um, there's this, this moment, so if you don't know the story, there's, there's a guy named Sirius Black, he's been in this you know, high-end prison, Azkaban, and it's like the most severe you know, federal-level prison situation in the wizarding world, okay? And Sirius Black broke out, and Harry is in the dining hall of Hogwarts, the school that he goes to, and he's reading about this, and all, there's all these rumors and speculation that Sirius Black is coming after Harry to kill him. He wants to, to, to take him, or who knows? but there's just speculation. Little does Harry know, this is actually his godfather, spoiler alert, plot twist. And what's so funny, and this is that 15 second moment, there's this boy sitting next to him and they're all talking about Sirius Black and, and the boy says, he says, Sirius Black could be anywhere. He, he's, he's like smoke. He's like trying to catch smoke with your bare hands. And, and, <laughs> I love that. That one line it is exactly what, Solomon is saying, it's life is like trying to grasp smoke with your bare hands. It's like trying to, to wield it, trying to take hold of it with your bare hands. And, and I'm sure that, that your life has felt that way from time to time. Maybe even this past year, it's felt like it's hard to take hold of. It's felt maybe meaningless, empty, without substance. And it's important that we continue to think about life in this way because Solomon uses this exact word 35 times throughout this entire book. So his perspective about life, again, is informed by great wisdom, unparalleled wisdom to you and I, and a very unique life experience as a king of a great nation. So let's keep going and seeing some of the effects of this vain life. Verse three, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Toil is just another word for, for work or, or effort. So all toil under the sun gains nothing. All toil under the sun gains nothing, is what Solomon just said. In other words, what will you gain by working really hard, by growing your wealth, by moving up the hierarchy of your workplace, by attaining more education, by creating a greater following or influence? And what's interesting and, and, and very clarifying as to what exactly he means is he used that phrase, under the sun. And what Solomon means by under the sun, imagine looking out an airplane window and seeing just landscape for, for miles and miles and miles and miles. And the sun is on the horizon. And you draw a line between the horizon where the heavens are and earth. And he's saying everything that's under that line 
Everything that's here on earth, that's worldly, everything you do under that, all the effort you put with, with earthly means for earthly things will gain you nothing. And that's an important thing, again, because it gives us perspective beyond our here and now. It's a perspective that leads to spiritual wisdom. And let me elaborate a little further because I want to poke some holes in some of the most well-meaning pursuits of our life. Let's say, just random thing here, let's just say you're worth $10 million by the time you die, okay? Nice. Okay. Well, this is, imagine you talking to me. Taylor, it means, you know, the reason that matters to me, the reason that it would be a good thing is it, is it means I can be generous. It means that I have financial security no matter what happens to government, stock market, etc. It also means that I will have a legacy to leave to my children and change my family tree. And that's so good. That's so good. I love that you want to make a difference for your family. But how do you know that the wealth that you leave your children won't become an idol of entitlement? How do you know that, that they will be as, as generous and good stewards of what you have built as you were? Well, I'll teach them. Okay, all right. Even the best son or daughter among us has failed to listen to the wisdom of our parents. Maybe it took us a little longer. Maybe we didn't listen at all. And all I'm trying to say is that even your best-intentioned work has no certain gain as you leave this earth. And I hope you see where I'm headed as the preacher Solomon is heading. All of it is smoke, again. You can't control it. You can't control how it's handled by those you leave. Man, work your butt off this year. Get, get the promotion, build your portfolio, but you will not take any of your status and wealth into eternity. You have no control over what is done with what you leave behind. And even more so, is, is all of this busyness, all of this, this, this achievement and what we're after, all this toil, all this work, it feels like it's taking us upward, right? Like we're, we're moving somewhere, right? You know, I, I got a promotion and, and I, I got another position and, and oh, I've got more wealth and, and oh, I, I learned more. I've got a, a higher degree and it feels like we're moving up, right? And the reality is, and what Solomon is pointing to is it's all side to side movement. It's all direction under the sun, under the, the heavens, on the earth. It's not actually taking us toward heaven. There is one way to move toward heaven, to get, out, to get out from underneath the sun, and it is to live for the son of God, to worship him, to, 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 to treasure him. And I'm not discouraging you from, from working hard and, and, and achievement in general. There's, there's nothing wrong with achievement or building wealth or, or being, uh, you know, accomplishing things. There's nothing morally wrong with that. But what I am saying is that they aren't the path toward true life. They aren't an end in themselves. And you are living a lie if you think you have gained anything. You're just moving from side to side, thinking that you're moving heavenward. And what's more is, is that of all the things that we listen to and we read and even the things that we watch on TV, there, there are well-meaning people 
even in the name of Jesus, even in the name of, 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 of the word of God, have preached a false gospel to you. They've told you otherwise. They've told you that, that the achievement and the working and the, the wealth and the things that, that bring some, some satisfaction and some gain and some effort will be within themselves satisfying. And they've lied to you. They don't have your soul in mind. They don't have your eternity in mind. And, and I, I beg you to hear the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. He made it abundantly clear for all who have spiritual eyes and ears. He said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no man comes to the Father except through me. That sounds pretty absolute to me. That sounds pretty all-encompassing to me. <laughs> there is no other way. Jesus is the only way that we move heavenward, that we make progress. Now, let's keep going. Verse four, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. And what we see in, in, in this little paragraph here is that all creation, both, both man and earth itself, are passing away, cycling aimlessly. And there's two, to me, very sad things in these four verses. The first thing is that people, man and, and woman, who were made in God's image, and God made very clear, were chief, most valuable above all that he created, are the ones that are passing away. Did you see generation from generation? We die, we all die. Everybody has an expiration date. But the earth doesn't. <laughs> what, what's less valuable seems to receive some unfair lower punishment for this curse of sin. The sun and the streams and the lakes and creation are, are seemingly, meaninglessly moving and cycling. Like, why? Why does the sun go up and down? Why does the wind blow where it does? Why do, why do lakes never overflow and pour over continuously with streams going? Like, he's pointing to the fact that, that these things just continue to, to move without any seeming progress. Nothing is being accomplished. The world is demonstrating a weariness from never arriving anywhere. Nothing is progressing. There's only death and a lack of purpose to the world we live in. Any avid runners in here? Anyone who, who loves running marathons or anything like that? Okay, great. Me, neither. Good. On the same page. Love it. But I do enjoy running from time to time. It's good. Just good basic exercise. But I hate running on a treadmill. I hate it. Because I would much rather go outside, go to the park, feel the wind against my face, feel the, the, the different terrain, and, and even just the feeling of progress. Because when you're on a treadmill, the thing tells you, you've, you, you know, you've gone 10 miles or whatever it is. I've never gone 10 miles. But, you know, it tells you you've gone somewhere and it tells you how fast you went. But, but when you get off, you're in the same place. You never went anywhere. You're just staring at the wall and working your little heart out. I, I hate that. And our lives are kind of like that. They're, they're like running aimlessly 
very hard towards nothing. We're working so hard and trying to progress, trying to move forward, trying to get to something that satisfies, and we don't. We're still gonna die. We don't, we don't get to, to, to change that. And again, let's pull our perspective out from merely looking underneath the sun and look towards heaven. And from that perspective, towards, towards a heavenly perspective, we see that we will all physically die, but the Bible tells us that we will all eternally exist somewhere in a, in a, in a real place called hell where God's just punishment is being poured out continuously on those who did not believe in Jesus. Or in a real place called heaven where God's gracious favor is being poured out continuously on those who have believed and enjoyed God's eternal kingdom. And when you stand before God and you show him how far and how fast you ran on that treadmill, he won't be won over or impressed by what you've done. There is only one satisfactory thing that you can say before God one day. Jesus in my place. Nothing else is any reason or any merit to welcome you, welcome you into this paradise that he has created for his people. We will only be able to say, Jesus in my place, We'll be able to say that, that I believed him at his word, God. I, I knew that there was no way to get here without him, and so I believed. I followed him. I learned from his life and his teachings. I fought to obey and honor you because I believed that what he said, what Jesus said, was life for me. Let's keep going. Verse eight. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. So the first half of verse eight. And what Solomon is saying here is that all work is frustrating. It's frustrating. I want to be really clear here that, that remember, work is not bad. If you look back at the creation story, <clears throat> excuse me, before the fall, before the curse of sin, Adam and Eve were working. They were enjoying, they were, they were having dominion over everything else that God created. God welcomed them into that. But what happened at the curse is that the work that they do and the relationships that they enjoyed were cursed. They were frustrated. And we see this in our day-to-day -day life. We see it uh, in, in, in planting things and just plants in general. If, if you've ever tried to grow vegetables or flowers or your own lawn, you know that this is true. Right, you, you, you have to pull the weeds constantly. They constantly come back and you've got to put new mulch down and better dirt down and oh, this is red clay because we live in East Tennessee. We've got to get better soil here. And, you know, we've we got to water it and don't, but won't, don't water it too much because then it'll rot and die or, or don't water it too little, it'll wither and wilt. And we see this in human interaction as well. I don't know if you've had to call customer service of anywhere uh, in the past couple of weeks because you know, something wasn't delivered or it was wrong or whatever. But every time I've ever called customer service somewhere, it's the same experience. You, know, you always get that one person that sounds like they've never had meaning for life. Just like, hello, how can I help you? And then on top of that, they, they're, they're talking through like a 1900s, you know, World War, I don't know, just like crappy headset that sounds like they're talking through trash 
It's like, not only do you clearly not care about me, but you are not helpful. I can't hear you. <laughs> now, this is, this is really a humorous example of, of frustrating relationships, but, but we see this in every relationship, right? If you've been married for a week, you know that this is true. If, if you have children of any age, you know that this is true. If you work anywhere with any person on the earth, you know that this is true. And this weariness in work and with other people is because of the curse of sin. And it is inescapable under the sun. You have to know the one who sits on the throne above the sun in order to escape the curse. He is the only one who can undo the curse and the weariness that it produces. He can provide restored relationships, fruitful work is possible with him. And there is a future hope of whole relationships and perfect love and harmony only through Jesus. In the second half of that verse, he says, the eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. And what Solomon is saying here is that all we behold is unsatisfying. When we behold something, we're, 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 we're experiencing it through our senses. We can see it, we can smell it, we can, we, can, we can feel it. And to the original people who heard this sermon from Solomon, what they had in mind were, were typical things that we can all relate to, you know, beauty, riches, um, praise and, and knowledge, all things that are common to us that, that we pursue in order to be satisfied in some way. But what's interesting, and I love this about wisdom, because again, it transcends time and circumstance, is this is even more emphatically true for us today because of all the content that we consume. I don't know if you've looked at your cell phone data plan recently and how many gigabytes of information you're eating up every month or your internet data plan, but, but we consume a lot of stuff audiobooks and podcasts and TV shows and movies and blah, blah, blah. Like we are eating it up. <laughs> and what's interesting is, I know this is true, not just from personal experience, but when I, when I talk to anyone, is it's never, like we're never done with it, right? You never, you never watch the third episode uh, after watching you know, the first two and think, oh yeah, this is good. I, I'm done for the day. No, no, you're always like, I have to go to bed, it's 12 o'clock, or, 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 huh, what did you say? Did you need something? Okay, you know, like, or you're endlessly scrolling on your phone. You're never like, oh yeah, I've seen enough Instagram for today. It's, it's always like, oh, oh yeah, there's life to live. You know, you're always being brought back to reality from the screen time that we've had. And what Solomon is making abundantly clear is that we behold so much every day, but we are seldom impressed, let alone satisfied with what we see and hear. You know, the closest thing to, to this kind of satisfaction in beholding something comes to mind on, on my wedding day. I'll never forget standing there in Chicago as Victoria is coming around the corner and seeing that beautiful golden hair flow and those pretty brown eyes look at me as my eyes are filling with tears and those perky, cute cheeks every time she smiles at me and, and thinking, oh my gosh, she's, she's getting ready to, to marry me. She, this is gonna be my wife. I'm married way over my head, if you did not know. I remember feeling just satisfied and, and, and so happy 
in that moment. Or, or even many years before that, being in China, being in the Himalayan mountains and summoning a, a peak in the middle of the night and seeing thousands of stars that I have never seen before and, and never seen since. So many glittering stars that it, it, it competed with a full moon in its brightness and seeing the beauty of God's creation and feeling, feeling appropriately small, being humbled by the grandeur of our creator. But know that even as good as these moments are in our lives, they pale in comparison to beholding Jesus, to being satisfied at hearing his words of love to us and seeing him in all of his beaming glory there will be nothing better than standing before him one day and hearing him say, you are mine and I am yours. Well done, son. Well done, daughter. Nothing will be better. So don't tire yourself looking for the satisfaction that you long for in any other person or thing. Let's continue to verse nine. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. And what Solomon is getting at here is that all that earthly things can produce are more earthly things. Now, before I elaborate on that, I've I got to be honest. When I've read these verses before, the first thing that comes to my mind is is creativity, like original thought, original content. And I think about all my friends who, you know, write songs and, and create new branding and these fresh ideas. And I love just in those moments of like, dude, check this out. I've never, this is totally original. It's never been done before. Like, okay, yeah, no, nothing new under the sun. So, and they love that. They feel so loved by that. I have the spiritual gift of encouragement, if you can't tell. Um, but, and while that might be part of the meaning, I think there's a, there's a bigger meaning here. There's a bigger thing that, that Solomon is getting at. And, and I think it's, it's, it's that nothing better, nothing new, no redemption, no restoration of any kind is going to come from anything, everything under the sun. All of the earthly things that we do and enjoy and try are going to produce things that are earthly, that do not last that lack meaning and substance. There's smoke. You know, if, 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 you, if you go to a top of a mountain where, where a stream starts or some kind of um, body of water and you're pouring motor oil in it constantly, everything downstream is polluted, right? It's contaminated. And it will always be that way. As long as oil is there, everything downstream from it will be contaminated. And because of the curse of sin, everything that has come after those people and that time is polluted. It's contaminated. It can't be undone. It's never going to produce this world, us. Is never, we're never going to produce anything that rises above this curse. Unless Jesus intervenes. Unless the one, again, who is above the clouds, above the sun, in heaven, can come down and change the narrative, who can, who can change and revert the curse. And he has. Let's continue in verse 11. 
There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Super simple. All he's saying is all will be forgotten. You, the things you accomplished, the things that are done under the sun, they'll be forgotten ultimately. They'll be a blip on the radar of human history. There are a few things that will last. Now, so Solomon just spent all this time kind of lamenting, if you will, all of these things that are super encouraging, right? Um, and, and what he gets to with this last paragraph is he really begins to explain, you know, I, it's from wisdom that I've seen that these realities are true. You know, they, they, they can be discouraging. They lead us to hope. They lead us to truth that affects our lives in meaningful ways. So as we go to, to this, last, this last paragraph, pay, pay attention and I'll, I'll try to summarize it for you. But this Ecclesiastes, starting in verse 12, okay? I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked? cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The bottom line of what Solomon is saying is that all that you know or all that you are capable of knowing is not all that there is to know. So meaning, he just, he just gave us all these amazing insights from his wisdom and his experience, but yet there are still unanswered questions. <laughs> there, there, there's still things that they don't know, that we don't know, that we won't know. There's still wisdom that we cannot have, can't handle, can't contain. We're too finite. And the only reason that this bothers us is because of what happened in the very beginning. Remember, again, before the curse of sin, before the fall, when things were still heavenly, still paradise-like, Adam and Eve did not have this knowledge and wisdom. There was still a limit to their capacity by God's design for their good. And, and if you remember, it was actually their pursuit of knowledge that they were not capable of handling that made things go wrong, right? They ate from a tree that would give them knowledge. But this is a part of the natural order of things, isn't it? If we were as wise or knowledgeable as God himself, wouldn't he cease to be God? Even before the curse of sin, Adam and Eve we're still lacking this knowledge and wisdom. In fact, it was their unholy desire to possess certain knowledge that God had that got them put under this curse. The only reason that this makes us fearful or frustrated is because we made the one with all the knowledge and wisdom our enemy that day in the garden. The benevolent father who loved his children 
was betrayed. He was made an enemy by his children. We doubted his love. We didn't believe that he was trustworthy. And we denied that a good father was trying to protect us, not keep us from something better. Imagine a dad that knew everything about your future and your life and loved you so much, knew exactly how things were gonna go. And your dad wants to lead you and walk you through life step by step. If you'll trust him and listen to him, you will end up in the paradise that you're after. The paradise that you were made for and his perfect plan. And many of us don't believe that the steps he has laid in front of us are what will lead to that paradise, right? And it's evidenced by our disobedience. It's evidenced by our lack of trust, by our overwhelming fear at times. He, you know, we we say to ourselves, "He's, he's allowed too many hard or scary things in my life for me to believe and to trust that he's possibly has my best interest at heart. Or, or maybe you, you think to yourself, in the past, I decided that I knew best and I took advantage of, of my own control too many times for him to trust me and to love me or to want me back. And to you, brother or sister, your father says, I have made a way that none of your failures and none of your fears will ever keep me from loving you. Jesus, who created you and knew you before you were ever born, also knew what this journey would look like for you. He knew. He knew what 2020 would look like for you. He knew what what, what happened this past week, and he knows what is ahead. Even the parts that would make him cry for you, he knew that nothing was outside of his control or his redemptive power. Jesus came for you. He lived the perfect life you failed to live. He died the death that you deserve. And this is the one or one of infinite reasons why Jesus is worthy of our worship and our lives. Let me, let me come back to that, that, that idea of vanity or smoke for a moment. What I find interesting about smoke is it can be pleasing or displeasing based on where the smoke comes from. If smoke is coming off of a warm fire that smells like hickory or, or pine wood, right? It, it's, it's warm and it's, it, it's welcoming. It makes you think of Christmas or camping. Or what about the smoke that's coming off of a delicious slab of ribs, right? And I can't wait to go to lunch, okay? That's, that's amazing. That's delicious, right? Or, or what, about, what about the smoke that, that was burning in the temple of God, the incense that was burning there that, that was a pleasing aroma to him? This kind of smoke is pleasing to us because it came from something good. But if that smoke came from that awful sulfur smell that comes off of crappy matches, or it came from a a heap of garbage that's burning, or if it came from something burning on the stove, those things are repulsive, right? We want nothing to do with that smoke. And if your life is smoke, what will you put on the coals of your heart? If your life is smoke, what will you put on the coals of your heart?
Your heart was meant to burn with white hot worship for Jesus. It was made for that. And in every category of our lives, we should be heaping coals on the fire of worship for Jesus. In your marriage, heap coals of worship for Jesus. In your parenting, in your work, and your celebrating and having fun, in your rest, heap coals on the fire of worship for Jesus. And it's from that, it's from that fire, it's from that passion, it's from that smoke, that the brief smoke that is our lives will be a pleasing aroma to our God. And we will never burn brighter and never be more satisfied than when we are in his presence. Every category of our life will find meaning with Jesus at the center. So I conclude with this. Everything we do and all that we are is through Jesus and for Jesus. Everything. That is his plan. That is his design. That is what we need to embrace to experience a meaningful life. And if you don't believe me, believe his word, his holy word. He says in Colossians, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. So as you're looking for meaning this year, as you're looking for progress this year and your resolutions, your goals, whatever it might be, all that matters is that we make sure everything we choose to do and everything we hope to be is keeping, heaping coals on the fire of Jesus' worship in our hearts this year. Live toward heaven with a God's eye view, not being too preoccupied with everything going on here. You know, I really, I want you to be able to heap the coals of worship for Jesus on your heart today. And I, I really believe there's, there's, there's four very simple things that you can do. Learn to treasure your Bible. Develop a reflex to talk to God in prayer in every situation. 
fight to kill any sin you discover in your life. And remember the gospel. Now again, these are, these are not revolutionary or new or different or sexy or, or they didn't come from a self-help book. They didn't come from, from, from anything other than, than just the clear reality of, of pursuing Jesus. These are all pursuits of Jesus, knowing him, beholding him, loving him, and being changed by him. It's not complicated, but it is a journey. It is a process. And if you'll do these over and over and over again, you will reap a great harvest in your life. Lead, develop, fight, and remember. And I hope you know today that your pastors who have been called to this We weren't called to come up here and suggest good things to you. No. We've been called to say on behalf of the Lord what is true and right and good. So what we say to you, what I say to you today, I say not on my own authority, but on God's. And I'm not suggesting it to you. I'm not saying things will probably go well for you if you do something like this. I'm saying that Jesus has said that he is the way, that he is the truth, and he is life. And if you aren't after him, you're after nothing. You're after meaninglessness. You will be a smoke that comes and goes and is disgusting. There's no in-between. There's no indifference to Jesus. There is only pleasing him and worshiping him or being his enemy and repelling him. There is no fence to ride. And so I plead with you for your soul's sake, for your good, for your family, for your business, for everything that you oversee, pursue him, go after him. There is no cost too great to follow your creator, to know him, to enjoy him, nothing. He is everything to me and I want him to be everything to you. Let me pray that he is, okay? Father, thank you for clear truth in your word. Thank you for drawing our gaze beyond the mundane, the monotony of life. Thank you for pulling our gaze from our circumstances and from the particulars of our story to something that is true and good regardless of those details. Thank you for speaking in to those details of our life. And Father, it is not just my desire, but I believe it's your desire that your people would burn with white hot passion and worship for King Jesus this year. I know that is what you're after for them. I know that's what you want for them. I know that's what's best for them. And I pray that they believe it. And Father, I pray that as we pursue that this year, 2021, would your people at Foothills Church in Blount County and Knox County, would we be a pleasing aroma to our God and King, establishing his kingdom here on earth, letting nothing hinder, throwing away every every weight, every obstacle, and pressing on ahead. 
It's with great expectation, Father, that we pray these things. And we can pray them because of what Jesus has done in our place. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.